Holy shit, fuck. <laughs> oh my God. You did not tell me that this book was this good. I believe I did tell you. No, you didn't. Because words cannot accurately summarize how insane that group of chapters was. It was pretty awesome. Holy shit, fuck. <laughs> Hide the women and children. This is going to be an explicit podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the Unfinished Book Series Podcast. Also <laughs> known as the Duke and Duchess Podcast. <laughs> I'm Liz, I'm the Duchess. And my name is Dak. The content hoarder of fish sandwiches and briefcases, <laughs> also known as Chad. And today, in episode 72, we will be covering chapters 65 through 69 of The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. Holy shit, fuck. <laughs> Why don't you lay our spoiler policy out there? So the spoiler policy is that Liz has read these books several times. She knew all this crazy stuff was going to happen. I I knowed. I had no idea. <laughs> that was nutballs. It was nutballs, right? <laughs> so on our next book club, we will be covering chapter 70 through the end of the book. Whew. Now, I don't know if any of our listeners have actually hung in there and not read all the way through to the end of the book. If you if you Surprising are. Surprising number. I, I applaud you. I salute you gladiator style <laughs> because. You hold your shard blade high. I am holding my shard blade out for all of you. That's amazing. I've read this section to the end like like eight times since we started the book. I'll just be like, <laughs> I'm just going to skip to that part. Whenever there's like a frustrating plot point. I'm like, I'm just going to read. I'm just going to go to chapter 69 real quick, real quick and read it. Mm. And so last week on the podcast, as we ended, you know, you always go up, we go upstairs and you usually pick, pick the book right up and start reading it because you've been yeah, waiting yeah. Yeah, yeah. to move on until the podcast. So we stop recording, you know, it's one o'clock in the morning. You go up, you, you just read a little bit. Last week, as we ended, I said, what did I say to you? You said, don't pick it up tonight <laughs> you won't go to bed till 5 a.m <laughs> was i right you were right because i didn't pick it up i waited till the next day and then i read the whole thing in one sitting and didn't go to bed till 2 a.m <laughs> yes this is once you start this little narrative arc here in these chapters you really cannot stop no and it messed up my whole sleep schedule the whole damn week and i didn't care <laughs> Yeah, that was crazy. That that was worth the tedium of some of the different parts. Not that everything has been resolved, but it's a series and it's only, you right. know, we're not even at the end of the first book. Right. There were certainly some things that 
that I could sort of see the next thing that was coming. Mm-hmm. But even that it didn't take anything away from it. Mm-hmm. And then there were several other things that I did not see coming at all. So bravo. It was a really just a lot of really satisfying things happen. A lot of things we've just been waiting for, thinking about how they were going to come about. And it just comes about in a really satisfying way. So shall we get into the individual chapter? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so chapter 65 is called The Tower. In this chapter, Dalinar and Sadius are preparing to assault the tower. There are 10,000 Parshendi and 15,000 Alethi ready to duke it out. This could be the turning point of the war, and feelings are running high. Dalinar is anxiously awaiting as the battle begins. In the front lines, Kaladin's men begin the battle. After six battles with no casualties, he's become complacent, and he's shocked when Teft and Scar both are wounded. Finally, Dalinar is able to join the fight. Just as Sadius' forces are beginning to break, he charges in. Despite another episode of the strange battle revulsion he's been getting, Dalinar's part of the fight is going very well. Until he and Adolin realize that Sadius has abandoned the field, taking all of his bridges with him. What? That is some dastardly shit it's cold sadius it is cold cold man so how did you react to that so that was definitely one of the things that i didn't see coming and it's one of those things where you look back on it and you're like i should have seen it coming it's i mean it's hard to know but we had all these things, particularly in the last section, where we see both sides of Sadius's face, right? Right. You know, and you can see him sort of leading Dalinar on, but then in moments when he's in front of Kaladin, acting like slimy-ass Sadius always is, right? Mm-hmm. But I, like Dalinar, fell for it because... In the vision, he said, can I trust Sadius? And it said, yes. Not, you know, it didn't, it wasn't like ambiguous about it. Mm -hmm. It said, yes. And so I took that to be what it was and didn't see it coming. Yeah, Brandon Sanderson does such a good job with the ambiguity of Sadius's character and really making you feel like what, what you're reading is a redemption arc story yeah. and that, that Sadius is going to learn and he's going to grow as a person. And when you go back, you can see the little ways that the betrayal gets telegraphed here. There are little yeah. clues, you know, the chasms being too wide to jump in this one spot. The fact that all the scouts were Sadius's scouts. Yep. And that Sadius in this one spot is really pushing for a joint assault. Like, let's both charge in together, you know. You really can see that, okay, the groundwork was laid. It wasn't like out of nowhere that this character did this. You could see, oh, no, he was he was planning to do it all along. But at the same time, you're, you're surprised because he did enough other work show, you know, hinting that maybe Sadius was going to come around because you see him through Dalinar's eyes. And that's yeah. what Dalinar is hoping to see. Yep. Well, and I knew there was some sort of betrayal going to happen, which is why last time I predicted that Navani was going to be the source of it. Mm. 
You know, because I'm like, somebody's going to betray somebody. Somebody's getting backstabbed. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody's getting two-timed. But I trusted, like, Dalinar, the visions, and, uh, yeah, didn't see it coming. So we see an interesting character development that's carried through these couple of chapters with Dalinar where he's struggling with the same thing that he's always been, doing the right thing and the consequences of that. But in this, he especially is thinking a lot about the cracks in his moral armor that are caused by his relationship with Navani that is mm-hmm. that is growing. And so he's doing something that he feels a little bit like maybe it goes against his codes or it goes against the, the precepts or the the mores of his his culture. Yeah. And it's it's causing some cracks in his in his armor. And he has to be very careful that they're not going to get wider because as he's getting ready to attack, he's uh, he's tempted to just use one of the bridge crews early in the process. So what he and Sadius have worked out is that Sadius is going to go through and clear a space for the bridge crew that Dalinar uses so that they won't be in danger and that's his kind of compromise that I'm not directly endangering them I'm not asking them to do anything that I wouldn't do so he's struggling with that and we see that arc really continue in this section of chapters and come to a, a pretty satisfying conclusion at the end but he mentions it in this chapter as well yeah my I I agree with all those points and I think it kind of further helps to set up the trap as well. Uh, the fact, I think, also that Dalinar was so... I mean, this doesn't really come through in the text, but I'm just imagining. Dalinar was so focused on Navani. I mean, it was he was with the last thing before the horn sounded and all this happened, he was standing in front of Navani. You know, so... When Sadius comes to him and is like, I've done this, I've scouted that, I've done that, he's like, well, let's go. Like, he's mm-hmm. not even thinking about it because until the moment the horn blows, he's all about that Navani. Mm-hmm. He's all up in some Navani. Mm-hmm. He's wanted to get up inside of that Navani for a long time. A long time. Yep. His balls are as blue as Sadius's shard plate. <laughs> it's red, but... It, Adolin has the Adolin. blue shard plate, yeah. Well, that's gross. <laughs> so. <laughs> I started with a holy shit fuck, so I can't be worried about <laughs> this sort of stuff. Listen, what I'm saying is his balls are so blue, they're sitting on the porch of some run-down Mississippi ramshackled stick house. <laughs> Playing an old banjo, blind in one eye. That's how that's blue, blue. That's how blue they are. That's pretty blue. <laughs> so, any notes on this chapter? Um, yeah. You? So, a, a couple things. So, I, I mean, I had the same notes about Dalinar trusting Sadius and the scouting, and just how completely he trusts the visions and just gave over wholly to that. I went back and I read the statement where he asks specifically about Sadius, should I trust a Sadius? And it says, I'm paraphrasing, it says essentially, yes, and then immediately follows with trust to honor and honor will see you through. So when you look back on that, you can sort of see how it's sort of saying, yes, trust him, but 
when you do get caught in his trap, trust on her. So it's, you know, it's it's definitely something where you can look at it after the fact and say, seems to me that whoever was giving the visions knew that it that's how it was going to play out. But it seems like he had to get to that tower anyway. The other one is uh, the Parshendi when Kaladin, because this is another, all these chapters really jump around in terms of perspective. Yes. It's a lot of head hopping going on. So when we're in Kaladin's perspective, the Parshendi are taunting him. I thought it was interesting that the way they taunt him is by cupping their hand to their ears mm. as if to say, where's your music? Mm. Like, you don't have any music. Like... Dang, that's a good catch. I don't think I ever picked that up before. So I thought, uh, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um, when back in Dalinar's perspective, he talked about Roshar being united once, and he said, could that have included the Parshendi too? As though it is just an impossible thing to believe. Right. So I think that's some... I hesitate. There's a lot of things in this section that I almost hesitate to call foreshadowing because mm-hmm. it's almost less of foreshadowing and almost more of like just a flat out hint. Right. Like I'm telling you that this is how it was and this is how it's going to be again, you mm-hmm. know? And I think that falls into that camp. But my favorite, my favorite line in the chapter is it says, uh, in Dalinar's perspective, it says, he carefully let the black thorn free and felt the joy of dominating only you (laughs) the battlefield see see, I knew I knew that all these dom daddies were just trying to compensate for something (laughs) that's what it's always been about it's about their little thorns it's all about them little thorns so I, I made a note about the tower itself okay the plateau called the tower Mm mm-hmm and the fact that it's covered in lumps, like a field full of short walls covered in a blanket of snow. I thought it was significant that that was... That's the graves of heroes who came before them. Maybe. I don't know. I just thought it was kind of significant that the, the terrain was described like that. I, I kind of thought that too. I So I was a little perplexed by that. Not the shape so much, but the fact that it talked about like it was creme piled, like creme piled up on it. Right. And that tends to come from like water dripping. And I thought, well, there's nothing above it. So how did, is there something? So in Roshar, mm. the the storms bring this creme. Yeah. So every time it rains. So back in the flashbacks of Hearthstone, they talked about going out and chipping the creme off yeah. your roof. So anytime you have a, a building, a tree, any kind of structure, if you don't actively chip that stuff off, it gets covered in creme like that. Yeah, and later it talks about it being particularly bad in the leeward side of right. the hills, and this hill, they're on right. the leeward side of the hill. So then I right. thought, well, there's, because I thought maybe there was something there, but I couldn't really, right? I couldn't really come up with it. Also, how about the fact that Sadius made dinner plans with Dalinar right before he left him That's some cold to die, shit. right? Like right before he rides off, he's like, hey, we're... We're getting we're getting something to eat later, right? Yeah. See you never. <laughs> Jesus, man. Right? 
some cold shit. Some Bond villain shit. It's some Bond villain shit right there. That is That's some, some Prince Humperdinck shit right there. Yeah, it is. It is. I also just think it's interesting. And again, going back to this whole Dalinar character arc thing, how in this chapter he's he's holding firm to his moral code regarding respectful conduct and valuing life and kind of those issues, but setting aside the cultural taboo surrounding sexuality and his relationship with Navani. And I just, I think it's like, I don't know. I think there's something there. I think there's a subtle like commentary going on there. But again, I just feel like that's going to be, we're probably going to, that's an important arc for him right now. Well, I would think he would have to, start shaking loose on some of these some of these sort of arbitrary seeming things that they hold on to that we know are kind of silly like the light eye dark eye distinction right? right and then like he's starting to see things in his visions that sort of shake that up a little bit mm-hmm. how how does it cause you not to sort of start questioning everything you know yeah so chapter 66 is called codes Kaladin and his men realize in the beginning of this chapter that Sadius is abandoning Dalinar in the field. Dalinar and Adolin fight desperately to reach the bridges before Sadius can pull them all away, but they're unsuccessful. Adolin is surprisingly cool about the situation, considering his right to say, I told you so. They have an important moment, capital M, before turning back to the battle and in all likelihood to their deaths. So there's this this battle is pretty much like four chapters long. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is kind of the part where Adolin and and Dalinar are like dealing with the fact that they are completely hosed. There's they're they're done. Yeah, this is this is almost like the grieving chapter like mm-hmm. oh fuck. Like Right. We are fucked with a capital F. Like there's no yeah, this is all the kind of like negative ramifications and realization about what's happening to them. You so know. At, at what point did you suspect that Kaladin would go back? Honestly, as soon as I saw that Sadius had pulled the bridge crews away, mm-hmm. I instantly knew that Kaladin would end up going back. Right. And it was um, like, I don't know if I fully said this last time, but I, one of the last couple of episodes, I predicted that they would not escape that they wouldn't flee. Right. They weren't um, going to leave the shadow. They weren't going to leave, yeah. That and sort of what I envisioned is that they were going to like have this opportunity to flee, but then they'd have this choice of like, oh god, we have to go in and save somebody or something. And so as soon as Sadius left them behind, I knew that that's what was going to happen. Right. I knew that they were going to, you know, they were going to go out there, they were going to have the opportunity to run away but that they would face some dilemma and they would end up turning around and coming back and saving them. So I completely, like none of that was even slightly a surprise. Right. Didn't make it any less enjoyable to read, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of the only part of this that I was like, of all this section. You kind of figured it was going to happen. This is what I kind of figured was Mm going to happen. I figured, I didn't know what it would be, but I figured that Kaladin and the guys would end up they would either be escaping mm-hmm. and then something would happen that they would have to turn around and come back for the sake of honor or saving somebody 
or that they'd be presented with an opportunity like this, but they choose to stay anyway, and that it would ultimately end up end up with them somehow being rewarded and sort of being freed because of what they did. So the fact that that actually worked out was satisfying. Yeah, it was. And there's some really satisfying character moments, one for Adolin and for Dalinar as well Mm -hmm. in this chapter. The fact that when this all finally goes down, you know, Adolin, who's been telling Dalinar over and over, we can't trust him. We can't trust him. Don't listen to him. He only turns to him once and is like, I told you this was going to happen. You know, but but then Dalinar, you know, when he's like, okay, I know that, you know, tell me it's all my fault. Adolin kind of comes to a realization. He's like, well, it's not, you know, he's like, yeah, I mean, I wish things had gone differently. But in the end, I wouldn't have had you be a different man. I wouldn't have had you be like the other high princes who don't trust anyone who who don't even try to make the to make Alethkar a better place. You know, and he's like, I'm and he says, I'm glad you follow the codes and I'm glad you are the person you are. Yeah. And that moment gives Dalinar the the perspective that he's able to finally let go of his guilt and let yeah. go of his his need to to kind of always be perfect and and just always beating himself up for not being who he thinks he's supposed to be you know and so that's a very it's just a very satisfying character moment you know, these characters have kind of been carrying this stuff around. Adolin's mad at his father. He doesn't understand his father. Dalinar wants to beat himself up all the time. But they finally release that yeah. like, right before they die or whatever. I call it the Ned Stark dilemma. Yes. Yes. Because everybody says, oh, if Ned Stark wasn't so stupid and honorable, then he wouldn't have fallen for all that shit. And the Lannisters wouldn't have gained the upper hand. But if Ned Stark acted like the Lannisters, you wouldn't like him. Yeah. yeah. You wouldn't you he wouldn't be the honorable Ned Stark. Yeah. It's so true. That's how I see everything in life. <laughs> <laughs> so I, th- I I liked the point where the one thing I did th- think was slick that Kaladin did was when he, they were just sort of like the last bridge crew to come across and they were just sort of lingering and uh, Matal's like, come on, you slugs, you know, and he's like, we're right behind, just go ahead, we, we'll, you know, we'll be there. Well, that actually happens right in the beginning of the next chapter. Oh, never mind. But okay. that's okay. Uh, it's all, it all kind of blends together. This chapter is super short. Yeah. Oh, no, it was. I remember what it was that I was commenting. Sometimes my notes are cryptic. So so bear with me. So I noted that Matal is like right there to like lead the bridge crews and prep like. He's been in on this betrayal from the beginning. Mm, That's a good point. He had to have been looped into. I mean, he didn't have to have been looped into it weeks ago. Right. But he knew that this was going to happen before they deployed that day. Oh, this is definitely a a good bit of the army is in on this because it's noted that that Sadius's soldiers were engaging in a way that made it very easy to disengage and things were deliberately set up to make it very easy for them to retreat quickly. Yeah. So this is not just like, 
this is an army-wide thing. Yeah. I mean, they're all following Sadius's orders, but there mm-hmm. are lots of people who knew this was going to happen. Yeah. And, and don't seem all that bothered by it. No, yeah. And yeah, so he's in on this from the beginning, like Matal would be. That's the sort of behavior you expect from Matal. That's that's just so Matal. <laughs> also, this is the chapter where Teft gets injured, Teft and Scar get injured. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really interesting that uh, Teft gets his shoulder injured, so he's struggling to use his arm. And Lopin, who only has one arm, goes over to help him. And then Lopin makes a huge ass out of himself by screaming at Lopin, I'm not an invalid. Oh, Teft makes an aft ass yeah, of yeah, himself. Yeah, by screaming at Lopin, I'm not an invalid to the guy who doesn't have an arm because his arm is injured. Right, read the room, Teft. I'm sorry yeah. you have an arrow in your shoulder and all, but toughen up. Don't be so insensitive. (laughs) But you know, he's like he's like, you don't have to help me. I don't I'm not an invalid, you know. I just I thought it was ironic Mm -hmm. the way that sort of played out. Mm -hmm. The other thing that was interesting here is that Dalinar is sort of living out the code of the radiance, the first I can't remember the name. Ideals. The first ideals, yeah. yeah. You know, life before death and mm-hmm. uh, journey before destination and blood, all that other hoo-ha. He's living this out in the actions that he has with his men mm-hmm. throughout all these different things. I mean, very directly, even though he doesn't really know the, the uh, Radiance ideals. Right. Uh, and even though they are not directly spelled out in the codes, but he's still living them out. He's embodying them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's significant. Um, the ideals were based on the way of kings, which mm-hmm. Dalinar is pretty much has memorized. Yeah. So I think that that is really significant. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was interesting that when Kaladin turns around and sees Dalinar being betrayed, his first thought was that was that this treachery is on such a huge scale that it almost that it makes Amaram's betrayal seem trivial. And I thought that was really interesting because up until now Kaladin has shown zero inclination to pity uh anyone who's not a bridgeman or have any compassion for them and this like self-centered focus on his own betrayal. And so it was interesting to see something that was, that was, you would not expect him to have that reaction. Yeah, that's a good point. And I remember remarking on that when I, when I read it, I didn't write any, any notes down, but it is sort of, I do think it's telling because it is sort of the first time that he's like, Oh, maybe, maybe my shit, wasn't as bad as I'm making maybe other people I'm not the worst most betrayed boy in the world right you know sitting in my flat in London crying over my Smith records (laughs) listening to Echo and the Bunnymen (laughs) chapter 67 is called words and this is a big one so get ready to hear my voice for a little bit (laughs) So we have this exhausted bridge four. They find themselves lagging farther and farther behind the army. They're all feeling slightly sickened by Sadius's brutal betrayal, but they don't think there's anything they can do about it. 
the crew is so tired that they risk slowing the army down. And Kaladin proposes to Matal that they stay long enough to rest and then catch up with the group. Not realizing that the men have money and equipment stashed away, also being a bit of a dodo, Matal agrees to this. Finally, the men have their opportunity to escape. Kaladin is still unsettled, though. The sight of Dalinar and his men fighting so desperately disturbs him greatly. It also disturbs Bridge Four and Syl. Syl appears for the first time as a human size and reveals to Kaladin that she remembers what kind of spren she is, an honor spren. Kaladin realizes that he needs to do the right thing, to care about life even if others don't. Bridge Four agrees, and they turn back to save Dalinar and his men. And we all go, Dalinar and Adolin notice, and they begin fighting towards this miraculous a chance to escape. As Bridge Four is fighting to reach the chasm and set the bridge, Kaladin ends up using more stormlight than he's ever used before to protect them. He flashes back to the day of Tian's death. When he comes out of this flashback, he's exhausted and drained of stormlight. He throws himself toward the battle anyway, and Syl urges him emphatically to say the words. As he's charging across the bridge, he finds that he knows them. I will protect those that cannot protect themselves. This is the second ideal of the Knights Radiant. And when Kaladin says them, mystical shit happens. That's it. Sorry, that was a really hard chapter to summarize. Uh, yeah, you guys, it there was there was it was long. There was a lot of important stuff. It was hard to know what to put in there, but there, that's that's what happened. The that really heavy action chapters, I think, are really difficult to summarize because you you have to find a balance between saying there was a really big fight. That's it. Or giving like an incredibly detailed by blow by blow, this is every single thing that happened. It's difficult, I think, to do it with the action-oriented chapters more so than the the character-driven chapters. Right, and more so than just the action in this chapter, it's Kaladin's transformation yeah. that he goes through. You know, finally going back and revisiting in his mind the the day that he lost his brother, that all of this um, this started for him, becoming a spearman, joining the army, all of this kind of started on that day. And then uh, finding the words and some, something happening to him. He, he gets transformed when he says those words. Um, it, yeah, and the how this chapter ends, like there are... There are t- two moments in this section that are like oh my god that is so badass yeah and one of them is the very ending of this chapter yes when which we'll talk about later or we can talk about it now yeah when he leaps the chasm Mm -hmm. when he's like drained Mm -hmm. he's gone through that whole thing with his brother he comes he comes out of his room Mm -hmm. you know he the poster of Bauhaus on the wall <laughs> and he charges down the hallway and he runs and he's out of stormlight but he leaps the chasm and then when he's leaping he realizes that they have gemstones gem hard or gemstones, gemstones tied into their beards and he sucks it all in and he's like you know it's leaping over the chasm sucking in stormlight I'm like holy shit uh huh it's nutballs 
And then he he lands, and when he says the words, it's like a wave of stormlight just bursts out of him, and then he just starts kicking ass. And it's like it is like some Thor Ragnarok shit. I think someone on our Facebook page put a a a, a gif. A gif. I always say it wrong. I'm always scared to say it because I say <laughs> gif like the peanut butter. Put a gif of Thor streaming out of the sky with like lightning coming down around him into yeah. a pile of monsters. And I'm like, yes, that is exactly what I picture. Yeah, that's That's exactly what, what like. I picture yeah. in this scene. And it is. It is very badass, especially as we've seen this character kind of like, oh, struggling to make his powers work and sticking thing and whatever. And he's been so beat down now just to- a spear. And- yeah, just come out and just, you've just been wanting him to blast it. And he does. He totally does. He totally does. So yeah, this is the chapter that begins with them tricking Matal. Yes. And he so wants Kaladin and his bridge crew to die anyway that he sort of feels like leaving them behind is not really a risk. He doesn't consider the possibility that they could run away. He suspects they'll be killed by scouts or eaten by a chasm fiend, you know, and hey, you know, if they die, he's happy because he's an asshole. That's who he is. That's true. It's just that is just so Matal. That is so Matal. Mm. So, So the other thing, the part that was a little frustrating, it wasn't frustrating in a negative way, but you were... Watching Kaladin in that point where he's coming to the decision that, you know, at this point I knew he was going to go back, but he's in that place where he's like, okay, well, no, we can escape now. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, oh, okay, yeah, um, it doesn't feel right, you know? And he's like, well, we're going to do this and we're going to do that, and then, uh, but I'm going to go back to protect. Right. Like, w- w- that whole part is like, oh, come on, you know, like. His idea of like sending Bridge Four on, but having them wound him and leave him behind on a plateau for Sadius to find mm-hmm. is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. <laughs> it's pretty dumb. It's just a stupid idea. Now, I mean, they don't go through with it, but I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> that's your idea? That's ludicrous. So, but they don't go through it. I thought it was interesting. I was sort of thinking about him standing there at that decision point and then going back to that first ideal and talking about life before death. And I feel like that would sort of dictate that if you think it's reasonable to go in there and be able to save Dalinar's army, you have to do it. But I think it's highly reasonable to question whether or not that's suicide <laughs> to do that, which is, you know, the, which is what they struggle with as well. Um, because it doesn't really make any, I don't think it is within that first ideal to charge in to what is an obvious suicide mission. Right. It, especially if it won't net anyone else's life, which it wouldn't in this case, but that's what they do. Sill asks when she sort of appears to to Kaladin. She says, do Windsprend make the wind or are they attracted to it? And he's like, he's like, I- I'm 
kind of in the middle of something here. Like, <laughs> like, can you save your armchair philosophy for another time? You know, but that's when she tells him that she's an honor spren. Mm-hmm. So then I think the question is, does Syl create honor mm-hmm. or is Syl attracted to it? Mm-hmm. Because she started to attach herself to Kaladin at some point and begin to began to gain her sentience mm-hmm. sort of through his honorable actions. Mm-hmm. Was she influencing those actions or was she attracted to him because of it? It seems more like it would be the latter. It, it does, but I think you're meant to wonder. Yeah. Um, Syl does mention that she started following him when he was in the army and he was trying to save people. Yeah. Now, if that was something that was out of character for him, you'd wonder, but this is certainly something that seems like that character would do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And that she became more and more aware as his actions became more and more honorable makes it seem like his actions were transforming her, not the other way around. But yeah, that's an interesting question that I think you're supposed to pick up on. Yeah. I thought it was interesting as well that like right before he kind of comes to that decision, he starts, he goes a little bit, he goes a little crazy there for a second. A little bit. A little he bit. He starts yelling at people. He's talking to himself. He's like, I won't be a fool again. I owe you nothing, colon. hmm You know, and I'm like, the only thing you owe your colon is fiber. I mean, I was going to say, I, I say that right before I eat a bowl of chili sometimes. <laughs> I owe you nothing. What have you ever oh, done for me? Get what's coming to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you who's the boss. <laughs> my other, well, I say my other note. There's a bunch There's a bunch of other notes. But... You know, we go through this scene where Kaladin is trying to once again, like, attract all the arrows so the bridge crew can get the, can actually get the bridge onto the chasm, right? Mm -hmm. The Parshendi have started to adapt and realize, particularly because it's only a single bridge, that they can sort of trap him by flanking him. Right. And then they'll, they'll be able to get the bridge crew. I thought it was interesting that, I didn't catch this on the first read, but on the second read, I caught that. Kaladin, before anybody told him to look out, sensed that something was wrong. Mm -hmm. He wasn't looking that direction. He just said, oh, no, something's wrong. And then after he felt that is when I think Lopin or- Sill. No, I think it was Sill. Said, hey, hey, look out, you know. So does that mean he now has spidey sense? Mm, seems like it a little bit does seem a little like that i thought it was so cool how the the success of their venture wasn't just about kaladin's powers it was also about the men's training and and his training so they're getting ready to try and set the bridge. The Parshendi are like, oh, crap. They come and they're coming up um, trying to get on. They're firing at the side mm-hmm. of bridge four. And he realizes there's there's nothing he can do. And so he just shouts out, you know, side carry right. And they just, boom, they do it. And that it saves them. Yeah. And that was a pretty cool moment. It was. And uh, well, then then they come around again around the other side. Well, the other the other yeah. the other party that um, 
So there's a party over here and then right. from the side. So when they do the side carry right, it, it immediately makes them vulnerable to the other group. Right. So the other group goes to fire and that's when Kaladin uses more stormlight than he's ever used before and dumps it all into his shield and just drags a hundred arrows into his one shield. That is bad donkey. It's pretty bad donkey. Man, that is bad donkey. It's also significant because it's the first time that the entire crew has seen him use stormlight. Yes. Well, and, and also, I mean, we've seen... We've seen the Parshendi react to him in amazement and sort of be stunned when they've noticed it before. Mm-hmm. And this is when they all see it and run. And they call him Neshua Kadal. Neshua Kadal. Yes. Kadal. Kadal. Yep. Kaladin. I don't know. Something. That name sounds a lot like Kaladin. Kind of does, a little bit. So hmm. Kaladin has a similar character moment here that, that Dalinar and Adolin have in previous chapters. This decision that to let go of overthinking, basically, and to do what's right even if others don't deserve it, even if there are conflicting forces in the world, I'm just going to do what's right for myself. Yeah. So it's interesting, the parallel there, this whole, and it's the whole journey, journey before destination thing. Yeah, that happens at multiple times throughout this book. Right. You can see Dalinar and Kaladin having similar sort of revelations or sharing common themes and things of that nature. So, yeah. Right. And in this chapter, he decides he's going to own his choices. He's not going to blame fate or a curse or anything like that for the bad things that have happened to him. Like he made choices that resulted in some of these things and he's going to stop, stop beating himself up and just move forward. Mm -hmm. It's very similar to the turning point that Dalinar had in a previous chapter. It is. Yeah. Drehi. I think that's how you say his name. Yeah. Uh, made this comment. He said, by the bright caller's rays, who is that? You know, talking about Kaladin and the way he's fighting. And I'm like, who is this bright caller? Why are we all standing out here talking about polar bears? <laughs> right. But I thought it was an interesting drop for something mm-hmm. that I'm sure will mean something later. I also thought it was significant if we're talking about Bridge Four, that Moash was the one to remind Bridge Four to get back to the job after Kaladin kind of goes into shock after he gets hit with a hundred arrows using all of his stormlight. He kind of falls down. They drag him someplace safe and they stand around and they kind of go, holy crap, what was that? You know, and Moash is the one to be like, hey, let's go back. Yeah, yeah. We, We have a job to do who's been the most vocal about hating light eyes, hating everyone who's not a bridgeman. Just a huge turning point for this character too. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the flashback for a minute because no. we, you don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about it. Okay. It was fucking horrible. It was horrible. <laughs> I mean, not like bad writing. Yeah. Yeah. It was great writing. Yeah. It's fucking gut wrenching. It was really sad. 
I didn't realize it was so far, or I'm sorry, so early into Kaladin's time in the army. For whatever reason, I just thought it was much later right. that this had occurred. Now, four months into his time in the army. Yeah. And we do find out that Tien was assigned to be a messenger like Amaran promised. He promised the family, okay, I'll sign him to a messenger squad so we won't see combat. <clears throat> but we find out that that sooner rather than later, there weren't enough troops somewhere. Some middle management made a decision to form a reserve company made up of messenger boys. Yeah. And so just like that, Tien is thrown into battle. And in this case, he and two other messenger boys are used as bait to draw an enemy into a trap and are killed because of that. And Kaladin witnesses it. And when he confronts the the sergeant who who made that decision, he just says, well, you have to uh, make do with what what, you, what have. you have, you yeah. know, this is what they give me. They give me men who can't fight. I'm going to use them in whatever way I can. And he's like, and you should do the same. And then he walks off. And that's a, I think that's, that's a seed of one of Kaladin's core crises is rejecting that mentality yeah. and cherishing life. It's kind of everything that's anti what the radiance stood for. And uh, rejecting that mentality is it was a huge part of Kaladin's core character from that on. Well, it's also it's also exactly what Sadius does with the Bridgman writ small. Yes, exactly. So Kaladin now has been living for months this example of that exact shitty, overly pragmatic, warlike behavior, you know, and how it's just so flies in the face of life, but is effective and is an alethi thing to do. You know who else would do it? Matal? Matal. That's so Matal. It really is. So we come out of that flashback, and that's when Kaladin makes his run and his giant leap that we talked about. The last note I have for this chapter is Syl keeps saying, say the words, say the words. I'm thinking she's talking about the first ideal. And then so when this other phrase comes out, I will fight to protect or whatever, protect those who can't protect themselves. I'm like, where the did that come from? Like, it's not something he had heard before. And it, it specifically says it's not something he had heard before. So that's coming from somewhere else. So, and it's interesting because what happens is Syl, well, she approaches him while he's lying there in shock and says, Kaladin, do you know the words? That's why I've come. And then as he gets up and starts running, she's going, the words, Kaladin, the words. And as he lands, another voice sounds almost from inside his head it's written in those small kind of all caps mm. font saying the words. And at that point, he realizes that he's known them all along and he speaks them. And it's the second ideal of the Knights Radiant. And then he gains all this amazing power. So what do you think's up with that? 
He's some sort of Night Radiant or Herald Reborn. I don't know who he is reborn, but he's one of those fuckers. Well, I'll just I'll just make a callback to early in the book when Gavilar was killed, if you remember what his last words were. Take these marbles. <laughs> Take my rocks. Take my rocks. No, after that. I got a bag of stones. After that, do you remember what he said? No. He said, tell my brother he has to find oh. the most important words a man can say. I I told you I already know what those words are. I'm sorry you were right. <laughs> I mean, those are very important words. Here's a latte. That works, too. <laughs> I'm sorry you were right. Again, dear, <laughs> that's seven words. It's true. We'll just have to agree to disagree, Gavilar and I. So anyway, that's just something to maybe like tie together in your brain a little bit. Mm, okay. All right. So chapter 68 is called Eshonai. I, I went to Shoney's. Onion rings were amazing. I don't know if I've ever been to Shoney's. I don't think there are any Shoney's left. Southern Maryland? No. Mm. Nope. If there are any Shoney's left, it would be somewhere on Interstate 85 in the Deep South. Yeah. So Shoney is what this chapter is called. Is he, is he kind of chubby? Got his hair in a, a bouffant, wearing like red and white checkered overalls. So chapter 68 is called, it's called Ashonai. Let's try that again. In this chapter, Dalinar and Adolin fight to reach the bridge, and Kaladin and Bridge 4 fight to keep the way clear. Well, mostly Kaladin fights. Dalinar reali realizes that the bridgemen are fighting, and we all get the chills. There's an epic fighting, and then there's a little more epicness as Kaladin rescues Dalinar from the Parshendi Shardbearer. Kalinar yells at some light eyes, including Adolin. It's tough, but they all manage to escape. Huzzah! They head back to camp, Dalinar promising to take care of Bridge 4 and Sadius. So this is one where I, I felt like a blow-by-blow blow of who struck whom was less important but still yeah. some really epic action sequences here brandon sanderson does this so well as, as kaladin kind of cuts his way through and they're fighting and then uh, adolin's rear guard kind of kind of bursts through themselves yep uh, adolin is still trying to get back to dalinar because dalinar has been attacked by the shard bearer finally mm -hmm. adolin's trying to get to him to help him none of the men are leaving because they're the bright lords aren't leaving so Kaladin's just got to charge around and be like, hey, who's in charge here? And they, they're pointing at a dead body. And it's kind of like, well, who's his boss? And that guy's yeah. dead, too. And he's it's kind of like a little Abbott and Costello feel. Mm -hmm. um, but finally, he, he reaches Adolin and is like, listen, get out. So that's kind of cool to have these two characters meet for the first time yeah, in it such is. an unexpected way. And, and Adolin's just like, what? Well, yeah, and that's by far the highlight of the chapter for me. Right. Is 
Adolin and Dalinar finally meeting Kaladin. Kaladin yeah, you yeah. Know. So when Kaladin is fighting, one of the guys says he's like wind pulled down and made human. Mm-hmm. Which, if that's not a reference to uh, was it a wind runner, I right. don't. I don't know what is. Right. But also here we get to see one of the interesting points is Kaladin starts to, as he's fighting the Parshendi, he starts to realize that the way in which they're fighting and conducting this war is honorable in some way, in a way that the Alethi don't have. Yes. In direct comparison and contrast to what happened to TN, where these experienced soldiers deliberately step back and make a target of young men who can't defend themselves, it's that would be a very unparshendi thing to do, at least mm-hmm. what we see here. Mm-hmm. In fact, when Lopin is standing around tossing Kaladin spears, nobody attacks Lopin. Mm-hmm. They don't attack Teft. They don't attack Scar. Later, we see in the end of the chapter when they are retreating from the chasm, when they get across the bridge, the Parshendi could pursue them and harry them and wipe them out if they wanted to. They don't. They choose to allow them to retreat. Just because they made that bridge does not mean that they would have gotten away. Mm Mm-hmm. The Parshendi could have killed every single one of them if they wanted to and mm-hmm. never allowed them to get back to camp. So there's something different that rules their actions in combat than simply what is strategically advantageous. Right. I to me that was an the mo one of the more interesting parts of this chapter because I've been saying for so many episodes now that the Alethi are fighting this war in such a strategically stupid way. Mm-hmm. And I still think that's true. But the Alethi also fight with this sort of uh, pragmatism that has no respect for life and only respects winning, which in a war is not necessarily a bad way to go. Like let's, I think the difference is they don't do it in pursuit of ending the war quickly to ultimately save lives. They do it in pursuit of making money, making money. And that's what Ooh, there's a, there's a statement there. Yeah. And that's a big part of what makes that different. But uh, but it's interesting to see that like the Parshendi don't seem to be fighting this from the perspective of let's do everything we can to win. They seem there's something else that guides them. For instance, they don't start bringing two armies until the Alethi do. They could have been doing that the whole time. They don't need bridge crews. Yeah. So what's motivating their decisions to fight there? Yeah. We still don't really know. Well, we know they want the gem hearts. True. Yeah. Uh, we we assume maybe that they are using them to make food like the Alethi are. So it's probably a survival thing. Yeah, I would. Yeah, which makes sense. But again, they could. 
I also think they're they're winning a lot more gem hearts than the Alethi are. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a lot more chasm fiends and you know pupil pupa and all that going on on the other side of the shattered planes that they're not ever even getting to. But the Parshendi could really, if they wanted to, fight much much more aggressively than they do. Yeah, absolutely. I thought we see another important character moment for Kaladin as he's before he goes to rescue Dalinar, but after he's been fighting for a while, he kind of comes back for a minute and gets a casualty report and three of his men have been killed and he he's not happy like he takes a moment, but he doesn't he sets aside that regret. You know, and this is the first time we've seen him be able to do that and not completely crumble when he loses someone he wanted to protect. Yeah. So that's that's pretty significant. So the other, I think, significant thing here is the Parshendi Shardbearer. Absolutely. So this guy pops up out of nowhere. And I, I did think it was funny that Dalinar's like, now? Yeah. Now? <laughs> right. Like, you... Like, that was a pretty cool fight. It was. I thought it was interesting that Dalinar's perspective was on why he showed up now was that he thought that the Parshendi were allowing the regular troops to fight him in an effort to allow them an opportunity to win Shardplate and a Shardblade. But now that it looked like they were going to escape, the Shardplate and Shardplate and Shardblade were far too precious to allow him to simply leave. So that's his whole perspective on why this is happening. It's a very Alethi perspective. It's a very Alethi perspective, and I don't think that has anything to do with it. Right, because what we find out is at the end of the fight, as Dalinar is lying there, finally getting his head shattered, rather than just pummeling his face and, and ending him, the the Parshendi Shardbearer, you know, instead says, it's you, I finally found you. Yeah. And then Kaladin stabs him in the back of the knee, we don't get to find out anything else, but... Yeah. There's just another layer. Well, and then there's even more of another layer... Because in that moment, Dalinar has a literary moment of deja vu mm-hmm. where he says he's lived this before, mm-hmm. but as a Parshendi. So I'm not sure that's what that meant. Um, but I'll, I'll look back in the book. But I, I feel like what he means is he's thinking back to when Sadius was lying there. About Ah. to be killed. And he was on the other side doing the rescuing. Ah, okay. He's kind of dazed and he's thinking, oh, now I'm the one lying here. And when he hears someone coming for him, he thinks, it's Sadius, he came back for me. Yeah, which I cannot believe he's still thinking that. Well, he had a head injury. (laughs) Cut him some slack. And instead, Kaladin bursts in and he's glowing and kicking Parshendi ass. It's It's pretty awesome. Well, that completely messes up all my predictions. I'm sorry. I, I do think that's what that was about, though. No, that but makes... And it's definitely a mystery that the Parshendi, A, even could speak their language because everyone's yeah. assuming that they can't. Yeah. Which is weird because the Parshendi delegates spoke the language. But uh, yeah. That... It's definitely a willful ignorance on the part of the Alethi. It would have to be. Let's say that. Yeah. But... um. 
but that apparently this shard bearer has been looking for Dalinar. Yeah, and then you have to ask, what you know? How does he know who Dalinar is? Right. Except that all the important Parshendi were at the feast when Gavilar was killed. Well, we don't know that for sure. We don't know that this one was And here. we know that most of their delegation escaped. Yeah, absolutely. I think just about everybody did. Yeah. So well, I guess that's sort of where my question goes is, does is this guy looking for Dalinar because it's like, oh, it's the brother of the king that that we killed and I needed to talk to you about some very important um, information that I wanted to let you know about a timeshare opportunity that I have in Mass and Nutton. <laughs> right. You know? um, or is it because there's something else metaphysical going on and they've mm-hmm. been trying to reach out to him across the ether and through the sh- through Bizarro Roshar and talking to you telepathically, you know. Don't know. I wish I did. Wish you would tell me. I will not tell you. Just have to keep reading. And then at the end of this chapter, we get the interactions between Dalinar and and Kaladin. And those are pretty satisfying too. I like it. Yeah. When he's like. Get on your horse, light eyes, and ride. <laughs> right. The hell are you thinking? <laughs> We've got to take the shard bear. It's like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> Mama didn't give you any common sense. Look, he had a head injury, guys. Come on. No, you're right. It's, it was hilarious. Not a not bright enough to come in out of the creme. <laughs> and then you know they get they get safely there, and the the Parshendi shard bearer salutes him. So he's like, "Okay, we're good." And uh, then he's like, he turns to him and says, "Why did Sadius send you back?" Yeah. <laughs> and they all go <laughs> as if right. But it's just such a cool way for the characters to meet. We've been waiting and waiting for it. Yeah, and and Kaladin, his interactions with Dalinar through this chapter and the next one sit in this sort of perfect place of irreverence without stupidity. Like yes. caution. Yeah. But not recklessness. You right. know, like he's not, He's not really showing him, like, he's not kowtowing to him. No, he's, he's not, not malording him. N- he's not giving him the malords. He's also not being stupid about what he's saying or being overly inflammatory for the sake of it. So it's. It, I just thought that was interesting to kind of, or not interesting, satisfying to see. Yeah, it was well the, done. Yeah, the way in which Kaladin is talking to him. He's not. He's not treating him like a better, and he's not like letting him be stupid either. Yeah, it was well done. So chapter 69 is called Justice. It's a long one too. In this chapter, Sadius breaks the news to Navani and Renarin that Dalinar has fallen in battle. Navani is horrified, of course, and she can also tell that something super fishy went down. So she paints a huge glyph that reads justice in the middle of the camp and lights it on fire. Burn, baby, burn. Fire! 
But they all get a surprise when Dalinar and Adolin roll up into the camp, all alive and stuff. <laughs> Dalinar tells Navani that he's done feeling guilty. He's also done taking Sadius as shit, but he doesn't want to start a war at this point, so he refrains from openly accusing Sadius of treachery. He does demand that Sadius sell Bridge 4 to him, though. When Sadius refuses, Dalinar offers up his shard blade in exchange for every bridgeman in Sadius's camp. Sadius denounces him for a fool, but he takes the deal. Dalinar isn't done kicking ass just yet, though. He storms into Elokar's room and slaps him around. He then demands that Elokar tell him the truth about the saddle strap. Elokar cut that sucker himself. Dalinar sets it straight with Elokar and demands to be made the High Prince of War. He also informs him that he is going to be courting his mother. Mike drops. Boom. Boom. There's so much good stuff in this chapter. This is another great chapter. Yeah. Sadius says, I saw your brother fall with my own eyes. So he cements his lying. Mm -hmm. He just makes it so obvious that he's lying. And I don't know how that's going to become important later. But I know it's going to become important later. So it's interesting because Sadius, you know, he marches back with this story. Oh, we were overwhelmed. We fought as hard as we could. We tried to save it. But he doesn't bother to ding up his armor. He doesn't bother to like wound himself, you know, do nothing like that. So he's not part of him. Well, and also, we've already discussed how many people in his army know what was going on yeah so and and dalinar thinks about this like sadius doesn't care if the other high princes know what he did in fact he kind of wants them to yeah like this was a master move sadius is like cemented a position of power for himself so he's not that concerned at if dalinar had stayed dead, he would not have been that concerned Correct. with anyone finding out Correct. what he did because there wasn't anyone powerful enough to try and get justice. And also, even though they might suspect all these things, there would be no proof. Exactly. But when Dalinar shows back up after he lied, said, I saw him fall with my own eyes. They were carrying away bloody chunks of shard plate. Now... There's no way to say he wasn't deceitful. Like he, right. it, the proof is standing in front of him, four hundred pounds of shard plate. Yep. And so for Sadius, and I love the the imagery of Sadius standing in the middle of the Justice Glyph, Dalinar oh. walking up to the edge of it. You know, um, if that's not foreshadowing, mm-hmm. I don't know what foreshadowing is. This chapter really makes you love Navani too. Yeah. You know, her the scene of her painting the glyph and cr- cr- crying and she's smearing paint on her face, but she, you know, and then uh, and she she lights it up and just stares at him, you know, and she gives him this look that makes even Sadie is kind of quail a little bit. It's it's pretty it's pretty badass. Yeah, I like the image of her sort of standing there around with like ladies in waiting and soldiers and generals like what is this crazy woman doing? And her just being like, given like the like the the double 
middle fingers mm-hmm. all around Sadius yeah. and being like, fuck you, you're going to get yours. Mm-hmm. Yep, like, and then so just all of the interactions in this are so satisfying. You know, Dalinar kind of telling her, look, I, I don't know how it's going to work, but I, I've made a decision. I, I'm not going to waffle about this anymore. Like, y- we're going to be together. You know, and then marching up, and even though he doesn't accuse Sadius openly, he comes close enough for him to be like, what the hell, man? So what did you think about Sadius's answer? It was very Bond villain. It's also a classic example of somebody who is straight up evil, finding a way to internally justify what they do. He's not so self-deluded that he doesn't deny that what he did was dishonorable but he counters it by saying yeah but there's really some honor in it because i'm protecting the king and i'm giving you this glorious martyr demand you know and it's just that twisted way that he rationalizes what he does yeah i mean sadius is really kind of a true neutral character like he's not burdened by this idea that, oh, I want to be something that I'm not. I want to be this kind of noble figure. He's not like an Amaram like that. Yeah. But he also is just going to do what benefits him, no matter what the cost to anyone else, full stop. Like, that's his that's his compass. Yeah. What's good for Sadius, that's what's good for everyone else. And sometimes that, you know, what what's good for other people will align with what's good for me. You know, in his mind, he's like, well, you know, in some ways what I did was best for the kingdom because i really believe that you're losing your mind and yeah you don't belong in a position of power anymore but really when it comes down to it i just did what i wanted to do yeah you know so it's, it's an interesting character yeah i mean there's no reason for him not to sort of own up to it it's it's not as though he can right. deny and really at this point he doesn't want to go to war either but if he had to he would win you know down oh, yeah. forces are are have been cut in half you know yeah, he's he, got almost three times the the number of troops at this point yeah although quick math tells me that dalinar just purchased about three thousand more soldiers so what do you think of that oh my god so that was the second oh shit yeah moment you know but i enjoyed like that conflict of like you know Dalinar is like, okay, well, I'm just going to go ahead and take these bridgemen, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm just going to go ahead and take all your bridgemen. Oh, by I'm the just, way, I'm just going to roll out. I'm out. taking these guys. I'm taking these guys with me, you know, and Sadius, who wants any excuse to attack him, he's just look, and this does to me sort of cement or, or settle a little bit more of the niggling issues that I've had in the past with the Alethi, like not just embracing their flat out evilness and still sticking to some sort of weird code where they can't, they have to have these sort of legalistic, you know, they have to satisfy these almost legalistic things in their mind. Mm -hmm. Um, So he can't just, he can't just press his advantage on Dalinar right there on the spot. Mm Mm-hmm. But if Dalinar does anything wrong mm-hmm. to give him justification, he can take it and crush him right there on the spot. So 
he's he's looking. He's just looking for anything. And when Dalinar says, I'm taking these guys, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. You know, he gives him the thing that he can use to piss uh to piss Dalinar off to make Dalinar do something stupid. Mm-hmm. So that whole interaction to me before I know how it's going to end is mm-hmm. like, this ex- is where it's going. This is exciting, you mm-hmm. know? And I figured that Dallin, I, I didn't know how, but mm-hmm. I figured that would Dalinar would, you know, win the day somehow. And then when he draws his short, his shard blade, I'm reading it and it's like, and he drew his shard blade and he, you know, pulled it back and shoved the point straight through. And I'm like, Oh shit. He's kill. He killed Sadius, mm-hmm. and then he said through the center of the the glyph, and I'm like, mm-hmm. uh oh, okay, right, you know, and then he, and then when he says the shard blade for the men, I'm like, son of a bitch, he mm-hmm. is Ned Stark, like mm-hmm. he is truly honorable. He's gonna stick to his word. His word is more important than the shard blade. Especially as many times as it's been dropped in the book about the bond a person has with a shard blade yeah. and how unnatural it would feel to give it to someone else. Yeah. And how even when he was thinking of abdicating and that it would be best for Alethkar to leave the shard blade with someone who can use it, that that would just be that that would just go against nature. That would just he couldn't wouldn't be able to stand that. I also think it's a this is my opinion. The conversation they have afterwards where Kaladin's like, what did you do? Right. Like, and he says, what is the life of human being worth? And they go back and forth and, and they, it's priceless. You know, and he says, well, a shard blade is priceless too, you know. And I used one priceless item to pay for several thousand other priceless items. But the other thing it, I think it leads to is I think it reflects back to the first line of the first ideal mm-hmm. of life before death mm-hmm. and i think that paying for the lives of all the bridgemen and then also all the 2600 men that dalinar brought back is life over death and a shard blade is nothing if not death oh that just gave me chills i mean yeah it doesn't carve men in half it just takes their soul away. Mm-hmm. It's like I have been saying for a while, I don't know if I've been saying it out loud. I think I have been. I think shard blades are evil. Or at least not being used at all in the way mm-hmm. that they were intended to be used. Well, we know that Syl has had a negative reaction to Dalinar's shard blade. And Kaladin when he was mm-hmm. given the opportunity, just all he could see was the death that mm-hmm. they caused, the destruction that they caused. Yeah, I mean, that was a huge turning point for that character. Now we have Dalinar giving up his shard blade as well. Yeah. Mm. Damn, that's a good book. Mm. High Prince of War, you say? Right? Let's talk about Elokar. All right, that so that scene was a, like... Like I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. He walks in, kicks him around, says, mm-hmm. "You're acting like a fucking baby." Like, <laughs> right? Get over your shit, man. You know. And Elicar's like, I, I just have to say, I'm sorry. I, I just so picture 
Adam Driver, Kylo Ren <laughs> as Alucard, like the kind of like whiny man baby. I don't know. Yeah. It just makes it that much more satisfying if you picture someone smacking him around. So smacking Adam Driver around. <laughs> just try it. Everyone just close your eyes. Take a moment. Just try it. <laughs> Sorry, Adam Driver. <laughs> I like Adam Driver. I like him too, but just yeah. that character, you know? Yeah, yeah. Anyway. But yeah, so he kicks him, slaps him around. I thought it was interesting that he comes in and he's like, um, I heard something happen today, but I was too distracted. Mm-hmm. You're the king at a war camp. Your two biggest armies are going out. What the fuck else were you distracted by? Right. You right. had one fucking job, man. <laughs> right. Did I miss something? So, yeah, it's like, I feel as though I may have missed something. I heard there was a mishap on the planes. <laughs> yeah. One day all this will be yours, lad. What the curtains? <laughs> right? I mean, like... It's so true. She has huge gem hearts. <laughs> Delano's like, yeah, something went wrong. I was caught in a trap. I couldn't walk out because my shard blade, shard plate was shattered and broken. Why can't you see what Sadius was doing to me with all of his stupid lying? (laughs) But I did. But so he's like, you're going to make me high prince of war. I could kill you any time I wanted to. And I did this just to demonstrate to you that I fucking love you. Mm-hmm. I had to beat you to tell you how much I love you. Why do you make me so angry all the time and walk <laughs> into doorways? <laughs> but I, I did sort of like the first read through, I, I was like, as soon as you leave, I mean, I'd question the wisdom of that, that Elicar isn't going to now just be, like all, all Elicar has to do is turn to Sadius and, Except I, I truly believe that Elicar believed him at the end. You know, especially when Dalinar says, I, I love you like a son, you know? Mm-hmm. Stop being an idiot. Yeah. Um, and, and I think Elicar, too, deep down has a very negative self-image. Like, he knows he's he's not really a competent ruler. Yeah. He, he yeah. knows that he does not live up to his father. He knows that... A lot of people probably secretly have wished that Dalinar would just take the throne. And Dalinar expresses as much in the confrontation. I- exactly. And so for Elicar, I forget where I was going with this. Low self-esteem. Low self-esteem. And that's why I think he's he's prone to believe Dalinar. You know, when Dalinar says, I could kill you and there would be no repercussions. Elicar really believes that. Like, he's not thinking, oh, well, I'm going to go tell Sadius and get... And I think he loves Dalinar, too, as a kind of yeah. a father figure. I don't think he really wants to kill his uncle, yeah. But he's been sort of trying to manipulate him into taking him seriously as far as these assassination attempts. Yeah. he's we, And we know he's seeing the symbol-headed monsters, and that's probably driving him a little bit nuts as well. And I'm sure that's what he was distracted by. And it's just this sort of self-centered fear thing going on. But Dalinar is like, well, you got to... Pull your head out of your ass, kid, because yeah. things are going to shit around here. And I think the most important rele- revelation that we have here is something that Dalinar has been stewing on since his vision of uh, Nohadon, 
where no hadan is is like what am i going to do these um these surge binders are going crazy oh, everyone's nine tenths of my people are dead and and Delner's like well we'll write a book and he's like what the fuck that's, that's ridiculous. he's like that's ridiculous he's like i need to go kill some people and Delner's yeah. like no that's <laughs> everything that you're not about and he kind of realizes that like oh hey no hadan had to be about killing some people and smacking them into line before he could be about oh hey let's do all let's Let's lead by example that don't make anyone do anything that they don't want to do. Yeah. You know, and so he realizes like, and one of my favorite lines, he says something, something to the extent of, I, I thought I could be like Nohadan, the peace, peacemaker, but I'm the Blackthorn. I'm a warlord. That's what I do. Yeah. So from here on out, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to treat everyone in this camp like a recruit. And they're going to be, I'm going to be in charge. There's going to be no more keeping gem hearts for yourselves. Every gem heart goes to the throne and you can divide them up as you see fit. Well, and the other thing I thought, and this isn't expressed, uh, and I'm, I guess maybe I'm, I didn't write this down as a prediction, but I'm sort of predicting it. So I'll go ahead and say it. I, I think what one of the things that's going to happen, one of the problems that they've had is because there is no central high prince of war, because Elicar likes to dine. And, you know, have painting competitions with mm-hmm. them, you know. So all these high princes are sitting around with nothing to do but scheme against each other. And I think one of the things that Dalinar is going to do as high prince of war is keep them fucking running. Mm-hmm. You know, and keep them occupied and keep them busy and keep like they're not going to have time for all of that bullshit because they're going to be, you know, training and running their asses off. And that's one of the things that you do with an army. Like you do not, it's part of like military leadership that you do not let your men get idle no matter what the circumstances are, because it's when they get idle that they do stupid shit. Like you have to keep people busy and I think that's one of the ways that he's going to keep peace mm-hmm. is by keeping them busy. Mm-hmm. The last note that I have is, and I forget what precedes this. I forget if it's when he talks about dating Navani or when he talks about being a peacekeeper, but he says, that was before the almighty lied to me. And yeah. so it, I think that's important to note that, Dalinar going into the next section is going to be approaching this from the perspective that his visions are from the Almighty and their lies. What that means, I don't know. So it's interesting because he he goes over this a little bit in his mind in one of the previous chapters. I can't remember which one, but he's going, okay, this vision was wrong about Sadius. But ultimately, he decides he doesn't care because he doesn't regret the man that he's become because of them. Yeah. He's like, what What have the visions told me? Overall, unite Alethkar. That's still the right thing to do. Yeah. Protect people. That's still the right thing to do. Like, he, he's like, you know, do I think that some evil being would be telling me to do that? No. No. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. But I think he also is maybe looking at, okay, well, maybe the Almighty was wrong. Yeah. About this. I, I mean, my take on it is that there's a reason he had to go to that tower. 
don't know all the ramifications of why that would be at this point, but that that had to happen. So trusting Sadius, sort of an egg that an egg that had to be broken, you know. And I'm sorry, but Dalinar walking out of that room, turning around and going, and by the way, I'm going to fuck your mom. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of the best moments. It's pretty damn good. (laughs) You should probably get used to it. (laughs) You get used to it, kid. (laughs) (laughs) If my vans are (laughs) rocking. Yo mama's knees is knocking. <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed that. So, so man, that's it. That is it. Now you get to read the rest of the book. Oh, it's good too. I'm excited. I'm excited because I didn't, obviously I didn't read ahead, but I, I turned to where it says, I think it's part five. And right. or whatever part it is, and uh, it says who the perspective chapters are, right. and I noticed that wit is one of them. I was like, "Damn!" Mm-hmm. So I'm excited about that. I don't know what we'll reveal about wit, but pretty excited. Are you ready for some questions from listeners? Yes, do it. I put up on Twitter and Facebook uh, a question saying, hey, you know, we're ready to, to podcast, get your questions in. And on Twitter, I also said, and uh, here's a picture of Chili for no reason. That is a picture of Chili. And just a picture of several pots of Chili on our stove at home. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody says, my God, man, somewhere there's an orphanage looking for their pot back. How many <laughs> children do you have? <laughs> That was Parzival on Twitter at Parzival55. <laughs> and then uh, Salomon says, in the past chapters when Dalinar asked a... In the past chapters when Dalinar asked a mysterious voice if he could trust Sadius, the answer was yes. And then it said, this is important. Don't let strife consume you. Be strong. Act with honor and honor will aid you. Do you think the voice lied to him? Okay, so so I think this kind of goes back to what we just said. I I don't know. It's hard for me to say whether or not they lied. I feel like in that statement, they're saying, yes, trust Sadius. This has got to happen, but don't let strife consume you. Just stick mm-hmm. to your honor. I guess at a certain level, it's hard to it's hard to argue against mm-hmm. it being a lie. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I also question whether or not it's really from the Almighty. Mm-hmm. The quote, Almighty. Right. On Facebook, Theogram Brown says, did you have the immigrant song playing in your head in that final battle? That is exactly, exactly what I had playing in my head. I had a different one. I was like. Yeah. We're caught in a trap. <laughs> I can't walk out. But yeah, the immigrant song is actually better. Totally. <laughs> Brian McClure says, on a scale of one to ten, how epic would you rate this week's chapters? I mean, it goes to 11. eleven. It goes to eleven. Absolutely. Goes to eleven. Uh, Brian also says, 
Uh, when he's killing the Parshendi, he Kaladin studies the way they fought and concluded uh, that the Parshendi army was the army he had been looking for ever since he became a soldier. How do you think this will change him going forward? So, I mean, to me, it all comes down to that contrast between how Tien was killed as bait mm-hmm. versus how the Parshendi don't attack even the enemy soldiers who are wounded. Correct. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and how will that change him going forward? I don't know. I mean, the Parshendi, it seems to me, are looking for something different out of this that we still can't quite get our heads around. I'm really hoping in the next book we'll learn more about the Parshendi because another thousand pages of me suspecting that these guys aren't really the enemy if we don't learn more about them, mm-hmm. I don't know. That'll that'll be frustrating. So I'm not really sure how it'll change him going forward. I suspect that it'll it'll just give him more confidence mm-hmm. to do what he wants to do. Right. I, you know, I also think there's some foreshadowing in this chapter in the way that Dalinar keeps looking at Bridge Four and marveling about how disciplined they are. Right. And what you know how he's going to treat all of the high princes and their armies as recruits. Kaladin's going to end up being like the guy who heads up the training. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, we can kind of, we can kind of tell that's what's going to happen. You just got to keep reading. I'm sorry. There was a long conversation uh, that Susan King brought up about uh, mentioning. Does it mention who determines the colors of the shard plate? Uh, everyone seems to be a different color. It does actually early on in one of the Dalinar chapters. It talks about how Dalinar kept his just the original, the yeah. original metal gray color, but all the other high princes and their high prince dandy, you know, ways wanted to paint theirs and make them all elaborate because mm-hmm. it's all about fashion on them high planes. Yep, them shattered planes. Eric Allgaier says, if I ever meet Sadius, can I kick him in the jimmy? (laughs) Absolutely. Definitely. Hell yeah. Do it once for me. Okay. Also on the Facebook page, Brian McClure says, did you realize that the scene on the cover of the U.S. copy of Way of Kings was from a portion of the book? In case you didn't realize, it's the part where the Parshendi shard bearer salutes Dalinar. So I thought that was interesting because I feel like a few weeks ago on the on the podcast, I was complaining about the cover, yeah, <laughs> the U.S. cover, because uh, it's like there's a guy on a far plateau with a spear, and then there's a shard bearer in the foreground, and he's just kind of holding out a sword. And I'm like, I'm like, it's beautiful. What the hell is he doing? Why is he just holding out his sword? It's shard it's like, blade semaphore. Like, like. I don't know. It's just going to make his arm tired. Like, (laughs) (laughs) like it always just kind of turned me off. So I guess he's saying that he feels like this is the Parshendi shard bearer saluting Dalinar. So, I mean, I don't see that just because there's no army around. And if you want to, you can, uh, certainly go on the Facebook page because a couple other listeners There's a lot of back and forth chimed, chimed in, went back and forth and let us know what you think. But it's an interesting interpretation. It is. Yep. It would explain what this guy is doing here. 
I just think he's being a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> but it's beautiful art. Uh, Gareth Williamson says, sorry if this has been asked before. With both of you um, enjoying reading fantasy science fiction for years, have you ever tried writing a book yourselves or want to in the future? All right. I've written the first couple of chapters of about five novels. <laughs> yep. And you have never, never been able to see it through. I, for one, have never wanted to write a book. <laughs> I don't know if I ever will. But I like all of your book ideas. I have some, I think I have some great ideas. You do. I have so long as somebody else could execute it. <laughs> I'm more of a short form. You really? Kind yes. of. Yes, you are. You know. Very dangerous over short distances. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I would. I would love to. But I have this podcast to run, so. <laughs> There's only so many frivolous things we can do. Exactly, yeah. All right, Brian McClure says, this is a good one, Quoth at the end of book one versus Kaladin after he saves Dalinar, who wins? I mean, like in a pie-eating contest? In I'm assuming fight to the death. Oh, well, uh, Kaladin. Uh, absolutely <laughs> Kaladin. Just not even close. I mean, Quoth has to, like, cut himself open and... Concentrate real hard, and yeah, Kaladin definitely would, would kill him, but it would be fun to watch. I think it would be over in, in less than a second. Like, I think Kaladin would stab him right through the heart while Quoth is there trying to quip. Right. You know. <laughs> now, if it's like, you know, who wins an invite to my cool people party, I'm going to invite Quoth before I invite Kaladin. Absolutely. Who do I want to have dinner with? Who do I want to hang out with? I definitely want to hang out with Quoth. I'm sorry. Yeah. Not want to go out to the bar with Kaladin. No. He gets mopey drunk. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like half an IPA, and he's. <laughs> okay. Gordon Ross says Given that Kaladin is emo, Shallan is often infuriating, and Dalinar can be pretty dull at times. If you were throwing a party for all your favorite fantasy characters, how big a venue would you be trying to fill before you got around to inviting someone from Way of Kings? Well, we're forgetting about Yasna because I would party with her all night. I, I would invite Lopin to a party. I would so party with Lopin. But yeah, the main characters. Uh, a large concert, yeah. stadium style. <laughs> like, <laughs> they are way down the list. Honestly, even even with Lopin and Yasna, like these guys are way down the list of characters I'm inviting to a party. Yeah. Like. Every dwarf in the Lord of the Rings. Absolutely. Most of the hobbits, minus <laughs> Sam. Yes. Are coming. <laughs> yes. Everybody from the Umbers in, mm -hmm. in, in <laughs> Song of Ice and Fire. That sounds like an awesome party. Way before I ever get to any of these people. Da Bombalina says, does soap ever get dirty? You did know you, what? <laughs> you hadn't read these ahead of time. I, no, what? I, I actually I actually did, but I forgot about that one. Um, and I think Susan King answers it best. She went on here and said, yes, it does. At least the outer layer. As your children grow, you'll be amazed at things that soap can become. And let <laughs> me tell you something. I have not read anything truer all day. <laughs> 
I have stopped going into our children's bathroom. That's true. Unless there is like dire need. Okay. Now they're old enough to ostensibly clean it themselves. <laughs> and so I, I don't, I, I don't, but when I do, I am usually horrified at the things that are stuck into the soap. And you'd think, oh, hey, just get them body wash, except we all know what happens. A bottle of body wash a day. I don't know what happens to the body wash. <laughs> they just or, open it up and watch I it pour down the really drain. I really think they just squirt it right down the drain. Yeah, they just right down the drain. They just like to watch it come out of the bottle. Yeah, who knows? We don't know what goes on in there. We don't ask questions. We just seed that portion of the house to them. Absolutely. <laughs> Ian James Crone says... What foreshadowing have we seen in book one that you think will be paid off in book two? Well, this couldn't couldn't be better timed because it's leading right into uh, predictions. Mm-hmm. So we talked about several pieces of foreshadowing in um, you know that in this section that that we hinted at, such as I think Kaladin is going to end up leading a lot of the data day activities when. Dalinar decides that he's going to keep everybody running and training for war. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think that's been foreshadowed in here. I think Teft foreshadowed that he's going to actually get severely injured. But the number one thing in this section that I that I feel like got foreshadowed that'll pay off in one of the other books, I don't know if it'll be book two or three, but when Sadius stepped out into that circle and stood in the middle of the glyph for justice, that was when I knew he was going to die. Mm -hmm. And what do you think? Well, I can't answer that question. Well, why are you being rude to Ian? (laughs) I mean, he's just asking for your opinion. You don't have to be like that. You really want to know. It's been a while since you've actually almost legitimately hounded me for answers. <laughs> Every once in a while, that's I get good. my frustration gets the better of me. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the big one. Right. It, it's funny that I never, like, I never really saw that at any of the other points. At no point, like, I thought, if anything, I thought Sadius was like, like one of the plot armored character like i thought sadius would be there till the end right you know and i thought dalinar was going to be the one who died now i 100 percent think the opposite Mm -hmm. because of what happened in this section but specifically that moment Hmm. when he stepped out into the middle of that cliff when she set that on fire and she talks specifically about how do you make something happen? You create something for not from nothing, mm-hmm. and that's what the Almighty honors. And this glyph is about justice. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and stands in the middle of it, mm-hmm. maybe not dead, but you know, like chopped all his fingers off, and you know, take his high princedom away, and like he's going to end up laid low. Mm-hmm. But I, I think he's going to be killed you ready for other predictions yes all right so the them in the unite them phrase is referring to the parshendi and the alethi Mm, okay this one's tinfoily yes 
I think Dalinar's visions are coming from the Parshendi. Hmm. Interesting. He's looking at me extra. He's like extra staring at me. This pressure. Okay. Keep going. The Parshendi are part of Roshar itself. They're made from the very stone itself. And I think they get angry when you desecrate one of their corpse because, corpses because they're eco-terrorist. Hmm. I think uh, that, all right, so in between chapter 68 and 69 in the Nook, and I suspect the Kindle, there is a picture of a rubbing from one of Elicar's, like a carving or a bas relief on one of Elicar's walls mm-hmm. in the um, his camp or his palace on the Shattered Plains. And it's of a character called Nalan Elan. Mm-hmm. And I think that that character is the Parshendi Shardbear. Hmm. I think there's some sort of weird reincarnation thing going on with the souls that, you know, people are, I mean, you mm-hmm. know, there's something going on with the Parshendi there. I, I also made this uh, prediction when I thought that Dalinar was like having a vision of having been a Parshendi. Mm-hmm. So that might have, uh, that might have influenced it there. I think Teft is going to become an invalid. Hmm. And then my last one is, I think the shard blades were given to the Radiance specifically to kill Thunderclasts. Hmm. And now they are being misused. Okay. I don't think they were ever designed for the way that humans on Roshar have been treating them. All right. I kind of almost wonder if... So we had this issue or not issue, we had this uh, dream that Dalinar had where there were like 200 shard bearers with all with shard blades. Radiance, yeah. Radiance. They all had shard blades. And he's like, there's like 20 shard blades in all of Roshar that are known. Right. I, I almost wonder if like, are the Parshendi like trying to like st- steal as, and take as many shard blades from the Alethi as they can? I don't know. You do know. Don't tell me that. You know. I can't tell you. Ah, fine. Okay. Thank you for sticking to your guns. (laughs) All right. Those are my predictions. Good predictions. So next time. Finish the book, everyone. Finish that book. And then we will likely be doing a wrap-up episode the week after that, where we will go over... Uh, dream casting and so we'd like everyone else's thoughts on that as well and kind of meta predictions for the next book now is the next book um words of radiance words of radiance and where is that novella is it between between two and three okay all right so we will read words of radiance um followed by Edge Dancer. We may, we've talked about putting a one-off of the novel Warbreaker. I'm trying to talk Chad into, when I say we talked about it, I mean I talked to Chad 
and said, we should do this. He's thinking about it. And then you said it out loud on the podcast. <laughs> well, I'm just saying that that <laughs> listeners could try and convince you that that would be a good idea as well. I'm just I saying. I think you people think I read a lot faster than I do. <laughs> you read a lot. You read books in between. Just think about it. Just think about it. All right. But that's all we have. So... Uh, anything else that you would like to hear covered on the sort of wrap up podcast for Way of Kings, you can throw it out there. Um, you want to tell tell them how they can find us? Absolutely. You can find us on our webpage at the Duke and Duchess podcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at the DND podcast. You can find us on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess and on our Facebook group page at facebook.com backslash groups backslash the DND group. You can find us on Instagram at the Duke and Duchess podcast and also on Goodreads as well by searching for the Duke and Duchess podcast group in the groups. Goodreads has such a weird interface. They don't make it easy, particularly in the app. Yes. It's not easy, but we're there. And uh, if you like what you heard today, Come join our Facebook group page. That's the easiest way to interact with us. Also find us on Twitter. Look us up in these uh, different social media. We got a couple of new five-star reviews on iTunes. Nice. So we thank you for those five-star reviews. They help us in the search rankings. Uh, But really what we care about more than anything is just having fun with you guys and hanging out with you guys. And if you like hanging out with us, tell somebody. Tell a friend. That's the biggest gift you can give us. And liking us. <laughs> Just being our friends. <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. Good night.